Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another edition of the Following Feature Podcast. Each week, I'll be here to take you through the latest movie news, gossip, and I'm going to be reviewing some films that I've been watching, and I think that maybe you should watch as well. Although, in some instances, quite the opposite. Trust me, you'll thank me. Okay, on with the news, and unfortunately, we have to start off with some bad news. Um, Unfortunately, this week, we've lost a couple of people, a couple of Hollywood legends. Um, People that you may not necessarily know by name, but if you saw their face, I mean, if you went ahead and Googled them right now, you'd be like, oh, that guy? No way. Well, yeah. First off, Fred Willard, 1939 to 2020, died this week aged 86 years old. Now, for me personally, I I best know him from his uh, appearance in Christopher Guest films like uh, uh, Best in Show, um, obviously this is Spinal Tap, one of my most favourite films of all time. But he um, he did many other things as well. He also was an anchor man. He made many appearances on the Jimmy Kimmel talk show. Um, but just a great comedy talent and one that will be greatly missed. Um, trust me, Google Google him right now, and you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Never was like the lead in anything, but he would always pop up as this kind of, I don't know, kind of not really self-aware, straight-laced type with great comedic timing and just, yeah, a wonderful, wonderful talent and greatly missed. Um, he survived by his daughter, Hope, which is nice. Um, next, Jerry Stiller, 92 years old, which I actually found quite surprising. Um, best known as probably the father of Ben Stiller. Um, but you might have seen him uh, in films such as Zoolander. Um, he played George Costanza Sr. in Seinfeld. Um, he also played uh, the curmudgeonly old father in the basement in King of Queens. Um, and his career spans all the way back, um, like, 50 years. Uh, he, um, I think one of his first big films was The Taking of the Pelham 123 with Walter Matthau. Um, and he also starred in John Waters' um, Hairspray, the original version of that as well. Um, so it was a guy who's definitely been in the industry for a very long time and was still active at the age of 92, can you believe? I'm sure we all want to, uh, you know, have a career that long and that great. Um, but I believe that he was pretty much on the brink of retiring from show business when he was around 70. And that's when he got the gig on Seinfeld. Um, if, you, if you've watched the show Seinfeld, and I'm, I'm guessing some people have, it being one of the most popular shows of all time. Basically, he was George Costanza's father. And uh, apparently when he first went for the role um, in the script, like he wasn't their first choice and they weren't really keen on him taking the role, especially during test screening because something wasn't working. He was supposed to be this downtrodden husband of a, an overpowering wife. And somehow it just, it just wasn't quite working during the test screening. And uh, as a bit of a Hail Mary, I think he asked if he could play his character um, on the same level as the wife, like screen for screen, uh, temperament for temperament, um, and just be over the top and animated. And it was a blessing. It was, a, it, you know, it was an absolute success. The, the, the producers loved it. And went on to be a screen favourite in the TV show and and he actually got nominated for an Emmy for it as well so um, yeah great turnaround and he's had a great career since then imagine imagine having your career turn around at the age of 70 dear god there's hope for us maybe in, in, in 30 years my career will start taking off wow <laughs> anyway on with actual movie news now and I think the one that's dominating the news more than anything I think Everyone knew I was going to be talking about this, maybe because I even told you I was going to be talking about this, but 
Zack Snyder's Justice League is being made. Now, for those of you don't, that don't know, um, Justice League that came out uh, a couple of years ago, I think, I think a couple, about two years ago, um, it was released after having some filming difficulties. Basically, Zack Snyder, who'd also made uh, Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, had set down to make basically DC's big superhero combined save the world movie type thing. A big ensemble piece, loads of characters coming together to destroy a big bad for the greater good. And uh, Zack Snyder put a lot of work into it. And then um, as they were looking to do some reshoots and basically you know, add a few bits and take a few bits out. Um, Zack Snyder's daughter, unfortunately, became very, very ill and uh, he wasn't able to finish the project. Uh, he stepped back so he could be with his daughter, who unfortunately didn't survive. Um, and during that great tragedy, of course, the, the priority is not your work, your films, your entertainment. It's your family. Um, and so understandably, he didn't want to step back into that and give it his full attention because he knew with everything that was going on in his life that it wouldn't be given his full attention. His heart wouldn't be in it. So, Joss Whedon, uh, director famous for um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly, but also uh, films like Cabin in the Woods, um, Slither. Um, did he do Slither? No, sorry, that was James Gunn, wasn't it? My bad. Um, yeah, uh, but he also did, um, uh, well, he did the Avengers films. He did the first two Avengers films. Uh, Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. So, yeah, something that he was very much uh, experienced with. He took the reins for the reshoots and getting the film finished and edited. And um, apparently he took instruction from the studio and uh, made a, did a lot more reshoots than was initially planned. And um, a lot of what was in Zack Snyder's original Justice League film was dropped in favour of... Um, a shorter, more cohesive, uh, single standalone movie uh, with an ending. Because originally they were looking at two films, possibly even a trilogy. And Zack Snyder had it all fleshed out that he was going to um, introduce certain characters and certain plot lines that would pay off down the line. Um, and they decided to kind of scrap that. So they went with just one standalone movie. Joss Whedon finished it. And he kind of Joss Whedoned it, if you know what I mean. Um, Zack Snyder has a tendency to use more of a kind of washed out palette um, he has a more kind of darker grittier tone to his films whereas Joss Whedon really embraces the, the um, comic book aesthetic and he really shows his colours he wants everything to pop on screen and really come to life with vibrancy which is fine absolutely it worked for the Avengers it was fantastic however and this is the problem when you step in to finish someone else's piece of art with your own artistic style, it becomes neither one thing or the other. And unfortunately, what Justice League ended up being was a hodgepodge of ideas. Um, and it just seemed to be kind of thrown together. Not to mention some truly inexplicable bad CGI um, during the reshoots. Henry Cavill famously was um, filming the Mission Impossible Fallout film where he sported quite a dashing and um, pauntastic moustache. And of course, he was obliged to keep the moustache because that was the part of the character that he was, he was filming at the time. So it being 
you know, the modern day cinema situation that it is. And, and this film already having, ha I think, including promotion and advertising, something like $350 million invested in it. And judging from all the special effects we can see right now, if someone's saying like, we're just going to remove his mustache uh, with CGI, you'd be like, well, that sounds like the simplest thing you can do in cinema right now. If you're going to go for any kind of CGI spectacular, I'm sure just taking someone's mustache off, piece of piss, right? Well, <laughs> dear God, no. Apparently, I don't know what happened. It looked so bad that when I watched it at the cinema, there was a point where I was saying aloud to myself, surely they saw this, right? I mean, surely they, they watched it before they released it and were like, well, that's that's a that's embarrassing that is we can't we can't put that out and say that's the best we could do i mean especially if you're trying to rival the likes of the avengers the way that the mcu's going at the moment you know you've really got to pull a rabbit out of a hat to to even rival them no one wants to release a film on the same day as an avengers film comes out but if there's a dc film you'd probably feel a bit more optimistic you know what i mean anyway i digress um, what we got with Justice League, with Joss Whedon's Justice League, even though it was advertised as Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, what we got was, I don't know, a bit of a Frankenstein, um, a neon Frankenstein, uh, which just, no one was happy with it. Uh, least of all, Zack Snyder. Now, I don't know if he was really that vocal uh, in his disgust, but um, the fans certainly were. And for a while now, well, Zack, Zack Snyder revealed basically that what you saw in, in the theatrical release only featured about 25% of his Justice League. And there were hours upon hours of footage on the, the, um, the editing suite floor, the cutting room floor, whatever you want to call it. So that got the fans talking and basically everyone was saying the same thing. They should release the Snyder Cut. I mean, if it's out there, if it exists, then why not? Why shouldn't we have it? Um, all they'll have to do is edit in the remaining footage, stick it out there, and fans will pay to see it. But remember, $350 million, pounds, oh, dollars, sorry, already invested in the film, and it didn't really recoup that much back. So for them to throw more money at it um, and release it again... I mean, it was a risk that none of us really saw them wanting to take. However, skip forward a couple of years, and uh, with the popularity growing, I mean, this hashtag, release the Snyder Cut, it did not go away. And sure enough, I mean, they even, um, what was it? They, they flew a banner across um, over last year's Comic-Con, I believe. Um, but yeah, so that, that didn't go away. And you had... The stars of the film, um, the likes of Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, uh, Ben Affleck, um, and your man there with, with the hair. Um, you know, Drago. God, what is his name? <laughs> anyway, that big Simone mofo. Oh, no, he's not Simone, is he? What? You know what? I can't believe I've actually forgotten his goddamn name. Um, anyway, they're all going to... They're all been supporting it. They've been sharing the hashtag. And finally, we got some news the other day, um, which kind of set the internet on fire for nerds, admittedly. Um, because HBO are releasing their own streamline, streaming service, 
and which that, that sounded kind of weird to me as well because HBO, if you don't know in this country, in, in the UK, we don't get HBO because it is a paid for service. Um, it's a subscription service only. So for them to release an, uh, a streaming service in addition to their subscription service, I'm not really sure how it works yet. As I say, it's not really being advertised in this country because, I don't know, we don't get HBO. We'll probably be able to get HBO Max, but like Disney Plus, it probably won't be rolled out here straight away. Um, although they should learn from Disney Plus that if you don't roll out your, your streaming service across the world, then um, you have the most popular TV show on your streaming service, then guess what? It gets pirated across the world. They wanted everyone to sit down and watch The Mandalorian five months after it was released in this country. And everyone's like, nah, you're good. We've already seen it. And they're like, oh, hope you didn't pirate it. And we're all like, what did you expect us to do? No, seriously, I mean, it's, it's not good to pirate things because it does cost um, the industry money. But at the same time, if you're going to try to manipulate the situation to maximize your profits, don't be too pissed if the internet turns around and says, we're good. We've got a solution. We've got a workaround. Because that's the thing, the internet's always got to work around. Anyway, back to Man of Steel. My God, tangent number one of this podcast. Not the last. So HBO Max, the new streaming service from HBO, is going to be launching uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And if you've seen the advertisement, the word Zack Snyder is bigger than the words Justice League because they want everyone to know that they are investing in his version of the film Apparently they're spending between 20 to 30 million dollars on finishing all the CGI and mustache removal and stuff like that. Um, and um, they are going to release it on HBO. There's no real kind of talk yet whether or not it's going to be a standalone movie, which could be believed to be about four hours long. I am in. I am in. Trust me. And, you know, I have I have personal reasons for wanting to see a completely uncut version of Justice League, um, which I'll go into one day. Um but yeah, uh, if you've got the, the, the joy of actually just sitting at home in comfort and being able to watch the movie at your leisure, taking breaks whenever you need to, stretching the old legs and all that kind of business, not being overcharged on sweets. Yeah, fantastic. I'm still missing cinema, people. Don't get me wrong. But um, when it comes to films that are about four hours long, like, like The Irishman, for example, I waited for that to come on Netflix because three and a half hours. I... I'm I'm 40 now. My bladder, you know, it can't it can't do it. It can't, and I don't want to miss anything. I'd rather be able to like sort of pause it, 90 minutes in, do a couple of lunges, um, go through my evolutions, and uh, then proceed with the rest of the movie. So yeah, I would absolutely sit through four hours of Justice League. But here's the kicker: it might not be four hours. It might be more, because. There is talk that it might actually be released as a six-parter, six one-hour episodes of Justice League. That blows my mind um, because there are many things that weren't really delved into in the original version of this film. Um, we didn't really get to, we didn't get to see Darkseid, who's supposed to be the big baddie of the whole thing and supposed to be the overarching villain of the the, the trilogy. Um, we didn't get to see anything from Green Lantern Corps, which you know, was supposed to be a, a, a featured part of the film. Hal Jordan was supposed to arrive at some point. There's a scene in the in the theatrical version where Superman turns up and speaks to Alfred, uh, who says, "Ah, I was told you were arriving." <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do a, I can't do an impression of him. But anyway, 
That was supposed to be uh, Hal Jordan. No one even knows who was playing Hal Jordan in the film. I mean, that's that's something which fascinates me because casting news is always something that gets gossiped about so much. Hal Jordan is a huge character, famously played in the um, not superb movie uh, starring Ryan Reynolds uh, several years ago. Um, and fans were calling for the likes of Nathan Fillion to be uh, in the film playing uh, Hal Jordan. Uh, everyone's wanted him to play Hal Jordan for the longest, longest time. But apparently there were scenes filmed with Hal Jordan turning up and speaking to Alfred, but no one knows who was playing him. No one's seen any test footage even. I mean, and this is after a, a, such a long period of time where we've even seen test footage that shows um, Iron Man and uh, Doctor Strange crossing over in uh, Avengers Endgame. Or is it Infinity War? I can't remember which one. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things. All of this stuff eventually gets leaked out. And... Um, I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been leaked, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad because for a movie that's already been out for a couple of years, there is so much about it that we don't know. So seeing a director's cut, it's not like a director's cut, like when we got the director's cut of um, Blade Runner. And for the most part, the most significant thing they did was just drop the narration, uh, the really cheesy like narration over the top of it. Um, but the film itself essentially stayed the same thing. Um, with this, we're getting a brand new movie, which is gonna it's gonna be a first. Um, I know we've had like sort of films that have been um, brought back by campaigns and stuff like that, and that's all well and good. But this is this is something else because it's a it's a completely different story, which is taking place in a film that we've already st seen um, with characters uh, going in different directions. I don't know, but twenty twenty one's when we'll get it, and hopefully, you know. Uh, Hopefully it'll be good. Hopefully we haven't wasted all this time begging for something that we really didn't enjoy. Um, and because of that, there's also talk uh, that there might be a um, David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad coming out because that also had the same kind of problem. DC really don't know how to treat their, their um, directors, uh, which is quite tragic, really. I mean, with Wonder Woman, they kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, and they did quite well with that. Aquaman... They did all right. It wasn't perfect. Um, yeah, I just feel with with Suicide Squad, they they um, they got the guys that did the trailer to recut the film like it was a music video, and it just became uh, just a just a waste of time. Uh, I'm, everyone's talking now that there could be a, a recut of that coming out, but one thing that I think is important to remember is um, one of the main stories in that revolved around the relationship between Joker and Harley Quinn. And one of the big turning points was going to be the emancipation of Harley Quinn. Now, as I'm sure a lot of you will know, um, there's recently been a film out involving Harley Quinn, and we'll get onto that later. Um, but the title of the film, which isn't going to spoil anything for the, the review, I'll do of it later on, Birds of Prey, brackets, The Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Now... If you've seen the film, you'll know that's what it's about. So if they were to do uh, a recut of Suicide Squad, which had that story in it as well, you see what I'm saying? I mean, Suicide Squad 2 is already in production. So I'm sorry, people. I don't think we're going to see a recut of Suicide Squad. 
I just don't think it would work now. I think they've moved on too much from uh, the plot of that film. So to revisit it and look at parts that were cut, I don't think it would do the, the franchise any favors right now. And I don't think there's much of a, a desire for it. I think the reason why uh, Justice League, you know, did get that kind of um, that kind of following and that kind of pressure to kind of do an edit is uh, because it was it was just so far away from what we were expecting. Um, whereas expectations for Suicide Squad weren't that big. It seemed like a bit of a throwaway comedy, a hodgepodge of like characters that didn't really matter. It's a bit like the risk uh, Marvel took with Guardians of the Galaxy. Like they could really do whatever the hell they wanted with it because they weren't significant. They weren't like the the um, the, the flag waving characters like Captain America and Iron Man, all that kind of jazz. Um, so they could take a risk with it, and it paid off hugely. Um, but I don't think the same thing really worked for Suicide Suicide Squad. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Another film that we've been talking about this week, um, a trailer that dropped. A film we've been hearing about for a while without any real specific detail is uh, Tenet. It's the uh, new film from Christopher Nolan, uh, who uh, is famously known for the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, also did Interstellar, um, and that one with all the dreams, and Leonardo DiCaprio that I didn't enjoy. Um, what was that called? Good God, how, how is this happening? Um, Anyway, Christopher Nolan is the master of the Mindbender film. For me personally, if you want to watch him at his best, I would um, check out The Prestige. It's a wonderful film about two rival magicians played by Hugh Jackman and uh, uh, Christian Bale. Um, it also stars Michael Caine, so it's Batman versus Wolverine with Alfred in between. And oh yeah, and Black Widow's in there too, because Scarlett Johansson stars in the film. That is a fantastic film with some wonderful plot twists, um, uh, really suspenseful drama, um, and it also has a bit of David Bowie in it. So what's, you know, what more can I say? Anyway, his new film, Tenet, uh, looks like it might be one of the most mind-bending films of all time, um, which is great, um, just as long as it's not as self-indulgent as that one that I can't remember, the Leonardo DiCaprio one. What was that called? Anyway. Tenet, uh, featuring uh, John David Washington, um, who uh, you might remember as the uh, the lead in Black Klansman, a Spike Lee joint. Um, black Klansman was basically the film of a, uh, a black undercover detective who had managed to infiltrate and become a fully-fledged member of the KKK. Um, this is based on a true story, and it was a wonderfully fantastic film. It really was um, great great performance from John David Washington and Adam Driver as the uh, basically his avatar uh, he needs a white guy to turn up uh, to meetings and stuff because obviously he can't turn up with his you know skin colour and afro um, they'd, they'd figure out pretty quickly that, that he's black is what they're going for there um, so they send a white guy um, to just take his place and, and keep investigating and finding out exactly what degree of uh, hatred and violence they're planning really fantastic story spike lee is is really uh, amazingly talented when it comes to telling stories about um the history of uh racial aggression and prejudice in america um and just the people and the movements that came to to 
you know, start a new chapter in, in the, the country's history and to move it forward, to make it progressive. Um, Black Klansman, if you haven't seen it, absolutely fantastic film. It's, it has this poignancy, which is um, almost made in the end credits because the film shows how much America, how far America has come in, in, in as far as um, progression uh, in their, their understanding of um, equality and uh, compassion and empathy. You know, it's, it's um, so much good was done and recent things like the, the Trump pres presidency and, and things have really gone to undermine all that hard work and really set it back um, years. So a very significant film, one that actually brought me to tears at the end when I really kind of thought about the, the actual full breadth and, and brevity of, of what's been uh, discussed and what's been like sort of seen in the world right now. Um, so really excited to see him again and really excited to see him in, in this film as well because he's the, the lead in this and it's, he seems to be a detective who's investigating crimes committed using uh, the ability to move time backwards. I, I really can't do a good job of explaining it on the podcast. Watch the trailer and you'll get an idea of what I'm saying. And here's the brilliant thing as well. Nolan isn't giving much away about what's actually happening in the film. He's not explaining too much in the trailer. He's just enticing you in with this, something that makes you kind of sit back and go, what on earth is going on here? And he's a great filmmaker who really knows how to kind of capture that emotion, that tension, that palpable, um, you know, sense of trepidation um so yeah i'm really looking forward to that um it also stars uh, uh twilight um actor robert patterson i call him twilight actor because i get the feeling that he's going to be known for that film forever where it's basically the least important thing he's done in my opinion uh he's done some really great stuff and um you look at things like uh, the uh what's it called the lost city of z uh, z sorry sorry that's i watch too much american stuff um, and uh, what was that one as well? The um, he, he's done a number of great films, um, and he's also, as you may know, uh, soon to be Batman. Uh, Batman. Sorry, I don't, I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but yeah, Batman, which was filming um, just on the road for me actually, um, which is always annoying when when you work in film and uh, a great film's being made in your neighbourhood and you're not a part of it. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe the people who are a part of it won't survive lockdown. That's horrible. I shouldn't have said that. I apologise straight away. I hope everyone survives. Go people. <clears throat> anyway, um, so yeah, Robert Pattinson, uh, John David Washington. Um, don't really know what's going on in this, fi this film, but it's the typical mind-bending stuff regarding not time travel, but the manipulation of time travel or something. Um, yeah, I do think less is better uh, in revealing the plot. Um, or less is more, sorry. It's due for release on uh, the 17th of July this year, although I'm not so sure we'll see that. Um, expect it to be pushed back. Uh, whilst that is the release date online, if you watch the trailer, there isn't actually a release date on the trailer, so I think they are still keeping it a little bit open and just kind of watching how um, things progress as they start to ease lockdown measures. Um, I, for one, am kind of expecting a second spike, uh, but I'm, I, you know, it's one of those situations where, like, my God, I'd love to be wrong. If it means that I can go to the cinema and I can go get a cheeseburger and I can, if I can go back to work, oh my days. I can't believe 
I'm actually saying this, but what I'd give to be employed right now. Anyway, I digress. This film's coming out this year. It is a mind-bending, crime-thriller, time-twisting, timey-wimey, bendy-wendy sort of thing. Who knows what it's going to be about. It also stars Michael Caine. Why not? You know, if you're going to make a Christopher Nolan film, why not throw Michael Caine in there? He's great at everything. Kenneth Branagh playing a bit more of a sinister character. Um, that could be interesting. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, I'm not really sure what he's doing yet. And Himesh Patel, who you might know from... Uh, Danny Boyle's Yesterday um, is also in this film. Now, he's he's one of these actors that I definitely think we should be keeping an eye on. He's got um, a very natural ability about him. I remember first seeing him in EastEnders and thinking, that that kid's... He's definitely, like, shining in every scene. Um, and he might shine his way out of that show soon enough, um, which didn't happen instantly. But um, now with, with Yesterday, with this film coming out, and he was also in that show, Avenue 5 as well, um, the Aman, Amando Iannucci show, um, which I thought was quite amusing. Um, so yeah, great cast, great director, intriguing plot. Let's see what happens. The next film I want to talk about coming up in um, movie news is Da Five Bloods. Yes, there is no way I can say that without sounding as white as I truly am. Daffy Bloods uh, is a Spike Lee joint. Um, so yeah, we get to hear more of um, Spike Lee's amazing storytelling, um, especially in regards to um, uh, the history of uh, racial inequality in America. This one, I, I fear, is going to really hit a nerve. Um, well, I don't fear. I, I hope it does. It needs to. This one tells the story of four African-American soldiers returning home from Vietnam in 1968 with PTSD. Um, they received little to no support from the US government who decided to, and they basically what they do is, um, they decide to go back to Vietnam and search for their squad, lead, squad leader who uh, uh, fa uh, fell at some point and they feel a responsibility to recover him and, and bring him home. Um, but there's also this talk of some fabled treasure that would greatly improve their quality of life. Um, a lot of American vets are happy to see this film finally being told. Um, yeah, basically the, the way um, African-American soldiers were treated after the Vietnam War uh, was summarised with the, the slogan, uh, just get over it. Because that's how they were made to feel. That, um, they weren't given enough support or, you know, they weren't helped through the transition from um, being uh, a trained killer to being a functioning member of society, which is a much more difficult transition than most governments seem to understand but then most governments wouldn't ever fight in wars would they that's not their job um they sit behind a desk and, and tell soldiers how to be soldiers anyway i'm i'm going off on yet another tangent ching ching that's number two i think this film's probably going to do a better job of telling that story than i ever will because i haven't personally experienced that i have a, an interest in it and i think it's important and i really want to see um how the film turns out and um I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, I love Spike Lee joints um, ever since uh, back in the old days when he, you know, do the right thing and, and, and Jungle Fever and stuff like that. He's always been a very, very important filmmaker um, of our time. And uh, this is his first film for Netflix. And uh, if it goes well, we could see a lot more coming from him on Netflix soon enough. So hope it does well. Oh, forgot to mention Chadwick Boseman's in this of uh, Black Panther fame. So 
again, very much looking forward to that. There's been some pictures of him in the press recently looking really, really skinny and unwell. Um, I don't think he is unwell. I think basically he's just shredded the weight in order to be ready for this role. Um, so who knows? Looking forward to seeing that. June 12th, that will be dropping on Netflix. And I, for one, am very, very excited. Okay, now the final film that we're going to talk about here today in, in the news is one that I didn't realise was being making being being making that's not English. I didn't realise this film was being made, and I kind of wish I hadn't found out. Beverly Hills Cop Four. Yeah, yeah, they're they're doing it now. There has been talk of this happening before. Um, apparently, Eddie Murphy walked away from it um, mid nineties uh, because. Beverly Hills Cop 3 was just a cash grab flop, really. It was just a bit of a, a naff film that no one really enjoyed. And it kind of spoiled the franchise a little bit because it was going pretty well up until that point. However, there are a couple of filmmakers... Well, there's, there's been a number of people that have already been associated with the job. Um, but the two guys that got the job um, are the two Belgian filmmakers that did Bad Boys for Life. Now, as you may have uh, remembered from last week's episode, I didn't really enjoy that film. Um, I thought it was a kind of cash grab homage type. I don't know. I don't know. It was just, it just, it didn't seem like it was a good move for Will Smith. Um, and it just seemed, you know, I, I, I just didn't understand why they did it. And it didn't really work for me. I didn't think it had enough of a, um, you know, an original plot to actually kind of carry it and, and justify it coming back. But they made it anyway. And off the back of that, those boys have been given the rights to uh, make Beverly Hills Cop 4 for Netflix. Oh. So what am I expecting? Well, nothing really. I mean, let's put it this way. The, the project's been greenlit, and now they're talking about starting work on a script. Any film that comes about that way, it's it's not a passion project. It's not being done with any kind of heart or sincerity. It's being done to uh, make money, basically. That's it. And it's a shame, really, because I apparently it's going to feature Eddie Murphy. And after seeing My Name is Dolomite... It looked like it was Eddie Murphy's time. He was making a comeback. He's talking about doing stand-up again, which is huge. My God. So we were really hoping that, you know, if this was going to happen, then someone with some kind of original idea, unique concept, um, and just a fresh look on, on the, uh, the intellectual property that could really kind of take it somewhere that would make it worthwhile bringing back. I don't think we're getting that. I think we're going to get to see the same thing. We're going to see some recycled jokes, um, tired, cliched plot points, and just, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully I'll be wrong, but judging by Bad Boys for Life, I'm, I'm really not holding out much hope. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Um, if anyone remembers uh, Canon Films back in the 80s, Canon Films were notorious for taking franchises that had ended... Um, getting the rights to produce sequels and just trying to throw it together in like a few weeks. Really, they would turn around films so quickly with no money that you'd just, you'd wonder what the hell just happened. A prime example um, 
you look at the Superman films, um, Superman 1, 2, and to a lesser extent 3 were decent. You know, they were enjoyable. For what we had at the time, they were pretty significant. Then we get Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Now, there's, there's so much wrong with this film. Um, it was a highly political film about nuclear war. Uh, the way they created um, an antagonist for Superman was ropey and just kind of unnecessary and just weak. Um, and not to mention the special effects. I mean, the fourth film should not have worse special effects than the first film. Because technology improves and lessons are learned. So you should be able to do something better. Um, Canon Films showed that if you, if you throw no money at something and just half arse it, you, you can even um, mess up a franchise like Superman. Um, but then, you know, I guess Zack Snyder can talk about that in some detail too. Um, this is basically being made, though, instead of the TV series. We were due to get a TV series where Axel Foley was the chief of police and his son is the detective. That kind of dynamic would be like a rebooting of the storyline of the franchise. And it could have taken it a different direction. But we saw a similar thing happen recently with Shaft. And that was... I don't know what the hell happened there. That was... John Singleton made Shaft with Samuel Jackson. I thought it was a decent film. I thought it was gritty and, and realistic enough to kind of... It really kind of packed a punch and it was something that I thought they could explore more. It wasn't the perfect film, but I think if they'd made a sequel, they could have really done something with that, that franchise. This one basically makes it almost PG-13. Um, like, this could have been um, a straight Nickelodeon film. Do you know what I mean? This is the Shaft remake. Oh, and do you know what the Shaft sequel reboot was called? Shaft. They didn't even like call it Shaft Jr. or... Shaft Returns or Son of Shaft, you know, and let's face it, with the original Shaft franchise, um, like Shaft in the Jungle and stuff like that, it was it was there to be done. It's exactly what they did with the uh, the Planet of the Eggs films. They could have done that with this. They didn't. I'm expecting Beverly Hills Cop 4 to be a mess. I think it's going to be a throwaway shambles of a film. Um, and I think it could set your man Eddie Murphy back a little bit. Um, but hopefully he'll drop some stand-up comedy that would be so good that no one will care that Beverly Hills Cop 4 was a fart in a spacesuit. Fart in a spacesuit, so to speak. I shouldn't be making jokes. It's not my forte. Anyway, that's enough movie news for now. I want to quickly go through some movies that I've been watching this week. Um, and I want to go into a little bit more detail this week because I kind of skimmed uh, past some of them last week. I, I, I told myself that I wasn't going to do spoilers but I hadn't really made notes, and then I found that I wasn't really fully prepared. So here we go. First film we're talking about this week is our big, big film, uh, which is Birds of Prey. Now, as I mentioned earlier, um, the original Suicide Squad was supposed to feature a storyline involving the emancipation of Harley Quinn. It got cut, so the Harley Quinn film, as she was one of the standout um, parts of that, that film, um, they've given her a standalone and uh, she is teaming up with a bunch of other superhero women, uh, like Huntress and Black Canary. Um, and she's, uh, you know, standing on her own two feet. Now, 
one good one of the only good things about this movie was the the larger than life scene stealing harley quinn as played by the wonderfully talented margot robbie uh, the film picks up on her post breakup with the joker jared leto not wacky phoenix in case you thinking i don't remember him having a girlfriend in that film unless you talk about um credits was it always oh, zoe beats who was that in that film wow I, and this is this is me with notes working here now and i, I still managed to catch myself unprepared anyway she splits up with joker but she's trying to keep it secret because her sudden vulnerability makes her a target for all those she's wronged whilst on the arm of gotham's most famous villain uh ewan mcgregor uh, stars as Roman Sionis, uh, aka Black Mask. He's a bit of a pretender to the throne, if you will. Uh, he looks to capitalise on recent developments in a, in a bit of a power grab. Um, and the um, the sudden uh, disappearance of the Joker, or the sudden kind of like sort of quietness of the Joker, and realising that Harley is no longer affiliated with him, gives him the uh, encouragement and the confidence to go for it. Um, Harley. Uh, is tasked in this film to convince a group of women that help uh, to help her to shut down Black Mask as they all find themselves with the same target on their back. Um, none of them like each other, but it's one of those, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Uh, and no one is convinced Harley is anything without the clown prince of crime. Um, but common goals unite them. Uh, that's what this film has. It has uh, moments that it's enjoyable, but it's not memorable. Um, it, it's It's... The way they kind of team up and everything like that, it's it's cool, it's funny, and there are some really good moments, some great action sequences and some great moments of funny, but it's just, it's not a film that you kind of walk away going, wow, what a movie. It's one that you have to think about for a second and try to remember like the bits that you liked, which, trust me, is never a good sign. Um, I actually thought Rosie Perez was um, one of the high points of this film. She's one of the more seasoned actresses in this film, and for her to take on an action role, because um, she's, I, I don't want to say she's old, but she's definitely quite senior in her acting years. She must be in her 50s now. Let me just quickly look this up. I'm underprepared, but trust me, at least this time I've got Google open. So I'm just going to quickly look up Rosie Perez, see how old she is. Um, Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez, um, coincidentally, um, was in a film I mentioned earlier, Do the Right Thing. Um, someone i've been a fan of for a while all right so she, she's um yeah she's 55 years old and trust me she doesn't look it and she holds her own in the action sequences as well she's absolutely fantastic in this film and um i don't know if the film would have really survive without her because the young actresses that take on the smaller roles and uh, and maybe the more significant roles um they're really not as good good enough to carry the film on their own and whilst Margot Robbie does deliver a fantastic performance again as Harley Quinn, uh, the way she kind of has all these kind of little quirky character nuances down really kind of makes it such a, um, a really li lively and vibrant character. A real 3D character as well, one that really kind of pops out of the screen and you believe in Harley Quinn. Um, that's maybe not the case with all of the, uh, the ladies in this film. I think some of them are thrown in as, as, as team members, but they're not really kind of fleshed out as much as they could have been. Um, but, but yeah, it was it was well cast, I, I thought, but that there was a little too little exposition in, and the threat of Black Mask wasn't very important to the plot, uh, which robs it of its final, robs its final act of um, any real tension. Like you're not really convinced that Ewan McGregor's baddie is that bad, really. He's, Ewan himself is quite underutilized in this film, I thought. Um, they could have had a lot more focus on him as the big bad 
uh, and maybe not so much time going into the backstories of every little character. But then, you know, then I'll probably have the same criticism about all the other different characters. I, I don't know. It was... Um, yeah, this film wasn't perfect for me. It was good, it was enjoyable, and it certainly had its moments, but there were times when I just found myself staring at the wall beside the TV rather than the TV itself. Um, it could have been better. Uh, and since The Joker came out, that's a real problem for DC movies, because now we know the standard they can achieve. Um, and maybe they need to go for like standalone, uh, separate stories, uh, where they allow the, the filmmaker to, to make the film that they want. And hell go r-rated you know um the joker did so well that i don't think they could turn around and say listen you know we, we need to make these kid films for the kids this needs to be a family uh, franchise um it's possible to have both and marvel's proving that at the moment i know that deadpool is a fox thing but it's a marvel thing now and they're looking to keep it although we don't really know when we're going to get deadpool 3 because there's so much more going on right now that it's been kind of pushed back quite a lot um, I do expect we'll hear a bit more about that in the, the near future, but DC should do some more R-rated films um, and mix it up a bit and, and take some risks. Um, don't worry about um, a shared universe. Um, it doesn't work for everyone, but, you know. The, the next film I want to talk about is, um, is our medium big film, um, which is basically uh, a big release, but straight to streaming services. And this is a Netflix film. It's Code 8. Now, in Code 8, Robbie Yamal plays a powered construction worker in this near-future story of superpowers and prejudice. Um, needing to raise cash for his desperately sick mother, uh, Connor, Robbie Yamal, agrees to pull off a robbery. But, predictably, things don't go according to plan. Whilst this does have a decent concept, it's not executed well. Uh, too much focuses on the powers and less on the plot. Um, I found there was no real sense of how things are until they're relevant to the plot. In other words, um, they're thrown into the script. Um, basically, just to give you a bit of a background, this um, was uh, based on a short film that was made, uh, a very impressive short film. Um, and it was a great concept. But when they were given the permission to develop it into a feature and they're given the, the funding, um, I don't know. I don't think they really kind of thought about this as a long, as a, as a feature film. And they didn't really flesh out the story too much. Um, at times, it's kind of hard to follow the f story because whilst there is this very touching bit about the, uh, the, the family relationship and doing whatever you have to do um, to, to look after the people that you love, it plays on that, but it doesn't quite hit the heartstrings as much as you'd want it to. Um, yeah. Um, this also stars... Um, Robbie's big brother, Stephen Amell, who you'll probably recognise as the CW's Arrow. Um, now, he does give what I consider to be the most nuanced performance of the cast, but he's limited by the script, and he has little say other than people will always hate those who are different. Uh, you know, that's, that's basically the sentiment of the whole script, um, but it doesn't really have a, a unique or profound way of really making that sentiment. Um, and it's better told in classics like uh, Neil Blomkamp's District 9, which is a very similarly themed film, but it really does manage to um, hit the mark. And the thing about District 9 as well, again, made on a sh shoestring budget, but it was one where the artist was allowed to make the film that he wanted to make. 
Um, and he developed it into a, a feature film properly. He really kind of fleshed out the story, and that's a wonderful film that I'll, I love going back to time and time again. Um, this, however, the film starts strong, but it kind of meanders as the story unfolds, uh, and for that, it was a bit disappointing. So it's not one that I'll go back to anytime soon. But if you're into that kind of thing, uh, trying to see like stories about superpowers in the real world, or just kind of seeing a story about um, prejudice told from a different perspective um, yeah maybe this is for you but um, for me personally I wouldn't go out and, and recommend it too quickly it's just it's just there if you're if you're looking for like a throwaway film that's not engaging something you don't have to think about too much give it a try um, my last film um, and what I'm basically calling my my little big film it's the uh, indie release for this week is Edge of Extinction. Uh, this is set 15 years after global warfare resulted in nuclear winter. This uh, post-apocalyptic drama slash thriller uh, takes place in uh, rural Bedfordshire and Buckinghamshire. Um, Andrew Gilbert, the uh, the independent filmmaker who's uh, made this, is it's a completely self-funded project, one that he's raised money for himself uh, and put every penny he had and probably some that he didn't into making this. Um, so it is a, a passion project, but it is not a film that had money to burn. Um, hence the fact that it took, I think, the best part of three years to actually uh, finish. Anyway, um, the story is of a boy, played by Luke Hobson, who had managed to stay alive by staying alone. Um, after suffering the loss of his brother, he basically actively avoided company responsibility for others, uh, even waiting in silence at one point as another lad is, is uh, brutally killed before continuing on his uh, journey. Shortly into the beginning of the film, he's accosted by a girl who's apparently desperate enough to risk endangering her life to partner up with the boy for help in surviving the world. Um, things quickly un unravel and um, his misplaced trust is, you know, coming back to bite him in the arse. Um, and he ends up on a journey where he's... Uh, He's looking to salvage his own humanity and those that attempted to take what was left of it from him, um, which I think is a great concept for this film, um, because we, we start off with someone who's emotionally compromised. He's, he's mentally, he's cracked, and he's never really dealt with the loss of his brother uh, to the point where he still talks to him on a regular basis. Um, this situation seems to snap him back to reality and uh, he's got a new sense of purpose and direction. Um, and, you know, this film really does, um, for what it is, it really does a good job of, of showing that kind of desperation um, and that kind of, you know, inner conflict when it comes to survival um, of, you know, yourself and, and your, your, your need for humanity, you know, your, your desire to, not let others suffer um and i i enjoyed this film i mean it's it's a bit long um and there are a lot of different characters in this which i'm not entirely convinced everyone in this film uh it's necessary to really kind of delve into their backstory and their plot uh there are times of um i don't know stagnant melodrama where it kind of it kind of sits in a bit of um, exposition unnecessarily um, 
And uh, there are moments like that where I kind of feel a bit lost in this film. But when it when it gets back to the story, which is essentially that of survival um, and, uh, you know, surviving the danger and, and the threats that exist in a world that's that's desperate and broken, where um, different tribal groups are formed to try to seize control over what's left of humanity. And those that want to live on the outside will always be a target or a victim. And the, the point where there are certain people that just don't want to be the victim, don't want to be the target anymore. They don't want to live in fear. Um, and this pushes them forward to try to do something courageous, something brave, which they may not survive, but it will renew their sense of humanity. And if, if that's how they go about losing their lives, then so be it. Um, and I think the, job, the film does a really good job of getting that point across. As I say, sometimes it gets a bit lost in its own drama, um, but there are sequences of action and violence and and terror, which really do kind of they're, they're palpable. They're 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 moments of um, real tension, which I think do carry the film and make it enjoyable. Um, there are times in the third act where I'm thinking this is really starting to get good now. Even though 20 minutes ago I was thinking, why are we hearing all this back and forth between characters, which we're not even sure are fully important to the film. Um, I was lucky enough to actually go to an advanced screening of this last year and um, I knew at the time that the filmmaker Andy Gilbert was talking about um, trying to edit as much out of it as possible to try to get it down to a, a, a shorter runtime. I think he was aiming for about two hours. He got it down to about 2.20. I'll be honest, I haven't seen, I don't see much that's been edited out of this, uh, much that's changed. And there are chunks of this film which I think he could have lost easily without really... Um, damaging the plot or, or losing um, the, the, the viewer. Um, but overall, um, whilst I do think the film has its faults, um, uh, I do think it was a good film. I did enjoy it. And there were times where I was quite um, amazed that this was done by an independent filmmaker and not someone with um, a lot more experience and a lot more money and a lot more support. Um, so I definitely think um, he's one to watch. Basically, this is directed and written by Andy Gilbert. Andy Gilbert, the director, I would give a B plus. I, I do think this is a really good film. I think for, for what it is, it's enjoyable to watch. It's beautifully shot. Um, and the way it's edited together, I really think there's a great concept there, which is at times executed perfectly. Um, Andy Gilbert, the screenwriter, I'd probably give a C minus. I think there are times where um, he needs to be a bit tougher with his material. He needs to know which bits to cut out just to keep the pace of the film going because it really does at times the, the film just sprints through and you're you can feel like the adrenaline in your own body building up and that's great but there are times when there's back and forth between characters as I say where you just think to yourself like I'm really not sure I give a toss um, and I'd really like to see this move forward now um, but this is the thing he's an independent filmmaker um, and I, I think there's a lot more to come from him. I'm personally going to keep an eye on him and see what he does next, uh, because I do think he's got something. He's definitely got a talent for filmmaking. Um, and I think with a bit of practice and, um, you know, judging with the feedback that he gets from this film, hopefully he'll be able to do um, something better with his next film. I don't know. He's definitely done a better job than I ever would have done. And this is the thing. This is why I really want to review independent films in this podcast is because even like bad films 
take a lot of work. And with studios, that's uh, a risk you can take. You can risk taking a loss and you can, I mean, some films will take a loss of millions and they'll be like, that's all right, let's move on to our next project. With an independent filmmaker, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there with everything you've got, everything you've ever, you know, every penny you've managed to save up and, and just say to the world, here's what I can do. And I tell you what, the world can be a very cruel and harsh place and people like that. So I applaud um, his passion for his art uh, and his courage to do what he's done. Um, I, I enjoyed Edge of Extinction. I think you should give it a try, especially if you're into post-apocalyptic films on a low budget, because let's face it, that's a genre a lot of us do get into. There's a lot of good things about this film and there's more good about it than there is bad. So you will enjoy the film. There might be, might be moments where it kind of loses its pace a little bit. Um, but yes, it's out now on Amazon Prime. Give it a try. I think you'll enjoy it. And that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Um, I don't really have a good idea of what films I'm going to review next week. Um, I'd really like some recommendations because the thing is, I watch a lot of movies anyway. But during lockdown, I'm getting through hundreds of hours of movies. There's films that I'm revisiting. Uh, there's films that I'm discovering for the first time. Uh, and there's films that I'm just wishing I'd never even heard of. Um, but it's all part of you know, the joy of discovery. Um, trying to find hidden gems on the internet and, and films that, you know, pique my interest. Um, that's one of my main passions. That's one of the things I like to do the most. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to find more of those during lockdown. But I need your recommendations. I need you to throw things at me. Um, I'm watching a lot of TV series at the moment and I'm thinking about doing a second podcast just around TV. Uh, let me know what you think about that. Um, but for the time being, um, this week, I'm thinking about reviewing Rise of Skywalker, um, as my big, big, but, uh, I mean, who the hell hasn't heard everything they ever need to know about Rise of Skywalker? And I don't think I'll be able to do that without waffling on about all the peaks and troughs and highs and lows of the, um, the franchise thus far. So maybe I won't, you know what I mean? Um... But there are other films coming out. I'm, I'm thinking of doing um, The Invisible Man next week, uh, which is a revisiting of some classic horror tropes. Um, what else? I don't know. I need to find a good indie film to watch. Um, I may review Safety Not Guaranteed next week. In fact, that might be my indie film, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Um, Colin Trevorrow, who... Uh, should at the moment be in Pinewood filming um, Jurassic World Dominion. Um, I saw Sam Neill talking on, um, I think it was in The Guardian, about how he should be at Pinewood and that all the Jurassic World sets are there waiting for them. Um, and I can understand that. I too was supposed to be working on a big movie this summer. My entire summer was supposed to be spelt, spent at Warner Brothers Studios working on a film. Um, but unfortunately that's been delayed. Hopefully we can all get back to work as soon as possible. We can start creating more entertainment for everyone to enjoy. In the meantime, though, I'm going to love you and leave you. Thanks again for tuning into the podcast. Um, if this is your first time listening, please do go back and listen to episode one. It's rubbish. Uh, but you'll understand how much progress I've made in the space of a week. Uh, if you want to promote this with your friends, I would fully appreciate that. Don't forget, we are available pretty much everywhere now. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. Um, 
We're on Spotify before Joe Rogan. Thank you very much. Um, as well as pretty much everywhere else that you can possibly find a podcast these days. Um, so with that, I'm going to love you and leave you. Um, much love. Enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. Stay indoors. And I'll see you next week for the following feature podcast.